Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is a Democratic primary in South Carolina, where, as expected, Hillary Clinton breezed to a win over Bernie Sanders. Now, both Jay and I predicted a big win for Clinton. We guessed 20 points, but we had no idea how completely she would just crush Sanders, winning 73.5% of the vote and getting 39 of South Carolina's 53 delegates. And this win increases Clinton's already formidable delegate lead over Sanders, which now stands at 544 to 85, with 2,383 needed to win the party's nomination. So what do you make of this, Jay? Well, we should have guessed higher. Yeah, we really should (laughs) have. Now, to be fair, the polls also thought it was going to be somewhere in the twenty mid-20s kind of range, so we weren't the only ones who were way off here. Right, right. Uh, well, I mean, again, I think we, we, uh, we missed the, uh, the over-under there, but uh, she certainly covered the spread. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think that's sort of the, the death knell for, for Sanders. Um, you know, as, as we've said, he was never going to be that competitive in the South for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, this shows that he's, he's really not competitive in the South. And, and, you know, he, he did do a lot of things towards the end to try to uh, uh, appeal to the African-American community. Um, he was really did, did some outreach, but it was too little too late uh, when you consider that the Clintons have, have built this base for, you know, 20 years now. So. Yeah, building up a, a network in, in, that, in the African-American communities. And for Bernie Sanders, it just feels like sort of a bolted-on type of thing. It's not, it's not where he's most comfortable, and I think that shows. And, and I was really, one thing I was really surprised at is how, how high African-American turnout was. And I heard it was even higher, I need to check on this, than even during uh, President Obama's run in 2008. So it's pretty clear that uh, the Clintons, uh, Hillary Clinton, has a, has a lock on the African-American vote. And in Democratic primary, that's absolutely huge, and, and I agree entirely. I think this is uh, definitely the beginning of the end for Sanders. Uh, and now, of course, the next big contest comes on Super Tuesday, March 1st, not a few days from, from now. And on that day, there are a little over 1,000 Democratic delegates up for grabs. Uh, and, and again, it is, as some people have dubbed it, the uh, SEC primary, uh, primarily through the South. Right. So that's, that's, that's more bad news for Bernie. Um, uh, now again, he might do do well in some of these these western uh, fo- states that are come come a little bit later. But yeah, um, and I I do just want to do a quick shout out that Bernie Sanders was at our alma mater on uh, Thursday of this week, Baldwin Wallace University. Really, he was huh. he was he was he was speaking there. Uh, the all kids were all feeling the burn, um, which again may have led to part of his problem being that. It's not in South Carolina. No. Um, you know, so no, as in, yeah. Northern Ohio, yeah, so far yeah, away I mean, from... I mean, and so you can also sort of get the sense there of of uh, where his priorities were, where he was pushing. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even if Hillary Clinton would sweep every state in Super Tuesday, which she won't, um, 
she still wouldn't decisively put Sanders away, and that's just because of the party's primary election rules because the delegates are awarded more or less proportionately. So I don't think Sanders is completely put away until around March 15th, maybe even a little longer than that. But of course, it will happen. I mean, Hillary Clinton is the inevitable nominee at this point, wouldn't you say? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, well, again, with with the the traditional asterisks that I always put in, barring any uh, revelations from the Justice sure. Department. Sure. Absolutely. And you know, because there are so many states voting on Super Tuesday, and polling in some of these states is really really spotty. Uh, we're not going to make margin of victory picks in every state that we've been doing in the past for either the Democrats or the Republicans. That's well, kind of a cop out, isn't it? Well, that's you know, that's a lot. It's a <laughs> lot of individual picks. So, uh, but I think what we can do is give our sense of how we think things are likely to shake out on Tuesday in general. And since I felt since the Democrats are my people, for for better or worse, um, I, I'd start things off if that's okay with you. Okay. Well, you, you sort of have the easier end of the equation, but go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, it looks to me like Clinton should win eight or nine of the 11 Super Tuesday states, including Texas, which is by far the biggest one that has 251 delegates up for grabs. Now, the only state that I know I'm positive Sanders will win is his home state of Vermont. And I think he looks reasonably good in Massachusetts. If he picks up any more states than that, I'm betting they're going to be Colorado, maybe Minnesota, and Oklahoma. But overall, I don't think Sanders picks up more than wins more than two states. What do you think? Um, I think that makes sense. Again, I'd say he is uh, probably going to do pretty well in um, in the West, in Colorado, and I could see in Minnesota too. There's there's a funny populist sort of streak that's always run through Minnesota. Uh, but the rest is uh, firmly uh, Hillary Hillary Clinton uh, territory. American Samoa. Who knows what happens there? You know, yeah, that's always um, a toss up. But uh, again, I, my my sense again is just uh, culturally and geographically, American Samoa is pretty far from Vermont. Um, so I think Hillary even wins that. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you on the Republican side. Uh, I am. Well, let's am, let, let's hold off on the Republicans oh, okay. for just a minute. To talk about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'll definitely. I, I'm sure you have a lot to say about that, as as I do as well. It's a far more intriguing race, I think, at this point. But one thing I did want to mention before we get to the Republicans, uh, you don't read the New York Times too often, do you, Jay? Um, you know, occasionally when it's sort of forced in front of me. But, okay. Yeah. Okay. So and, no, I, I don't. Want, I don't want people to think I'm sort of a. You know, non-news illiterate. Yes, no. I, I read the New York Times. I would say I, I don't read it regularly. Sure. I don't make a habit of looking to see what the New York Times says. Right, and, and, and I would guess, I, I would venture to guess that you are not a big fan of the New York Times editorial board for the most Typ- part. Typically not. Typically I would no. say my my first go-to would be the Wall Street Journal editorial pages, and, and uh, uh, but uh, again, with social media being what it is, uh, the New York Times is free, frequently foisted upon me. Sure. Now. The reason I mention this is I, I thought this would be one of these rare occasions where you and the New York Times editorial board would be in complete agreement. Okay, let's, uh, let's hear it. This week, the New York Times editorial board wrote an editorial entitled, Mrs. Clinton, Show Voters Those Transcripts, in which the Times uh, basically says that they don't buy Hillary Clinton's everyone did it sort of uh, explanation for why she's not showing her transcripts of her speeches to Goldman Sachs and calls on her to actually release those transcripts. Now, you oh, would- I, I suppose I agree with that. Uh, quite honestly, I'm <clears throat> I, I'm sort of the opinion of I, I don't particularly care whether she does or not, because uh, again, from my point of view, um, 
quite honestly, if if she went before uh, bank bankers and uh, Wall Street folks and said, "I want the uh, to do what I can to help Wall Street," uh, uh, my gosh, uh, I'd be thrilled, and and so would my four hundred one k. So, I mean, to Republicans, I suppose it's not that big sure. an issue. Yeah, and, in fact, in the I, mean, I understand running against Bernie Sanders, it is. Uh, and to Democrats, it, it's it's an issue. And I, I guess maybe to Republicans, it plays into sort of the the hypocrisy. Yeah. And well, uh, but that's but that's never a really a good basis for a campaign. Well, as the editorial mentioned, that Republicans probably wouldn't care because as they, they basically said that Republicans are already in the bag for Wall Street. They're they're you know they're <laughs> bought and paid for by the big banks. So, but you know, and one I thought the the, the way the editorial ended was very was was amusing. I guess I'd say they'd say uh, the Times said that she is damaging her credibility among Democrats who are. Begging her to show them that she'd run an accountable and transparent White House. Yeah, and, and I thought to myself, is there really anyone who thinks that a Hillary Clinton White House would be accountable and transparent? I, I just, based on everything we know about Hillary Clinton, now I may agree with a lot of her policy positions, and in fact I do. But uh, when you hear the word Clinton, accountable and transparent, right. not exactly right. the she, first two she's words. She's a crook, but she's your kind of crook. <laughs> so yeah. You know, so I, yeah, I, I think I don't think she's going to release them, and, and I, you know, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. I still think she's going to be the next president, but that time will tell, certainly. Well, and I mean, I, I guess this is one of the reasons I don't read the New York Times editorial page. Is sort of ridiculous statements like that that just highlight the irony of, um, you know, they're going to to call on her to to release these transcripts, which to me I, that's not a big deal one way or the other. Um, uh, yet they sort of uh, oppose her. You know, they're 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 defending her on on much bigger issues, uh, yeah. like Benghazi, sure. like the the server stuff, like things things that actually, to my mind, uh, more you know, matter. Yeah, yeah, matter as far as our national security uh, and and her trustworthiness. Yeah. Um, as opposed to campaign promises she may have made to, to uh, some contributors. Yeah, yeah. And I should mention that in the wake of her victory, uh, Hillary Clinton's stock went up. Uh, literally, actually, her stock went up. I don't know if you know this, Jay, but you can actually buy uh, essentially stock in uh, presidential candidates. That's probably something she was talking to the Wall Street you folk know? <laughs> Yes, go ahead. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's legal in everything. In fact, there are a number of sites. Uh, one of them is uh, called predictit.org, and, and I have put my money where my mouth is. I've bought stock in Hillary Clinton. Now, I bought stock in Hillary Clinton when she was trading at 87 cents a share. And how it works is if she does become the nominee, all of my shares are worth a buck a piece. So I stand to make a few cents here or there. Now, I was only okay. I only bought 25 shares because, you know, I'm not a I'm not a wealthy guy or anything kind like of a that. blue chip, uh, just buy and hold kind e- of strategy. Exactly. There. But so I bought at 87. The latest she's up to 89. So I'm, I'm making a making a little bit of money on that. All right. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. We'll talk about my uh, we'll talk about my Republican shares uh, in a minute here. But uh, before we get to that, uh, anything else on the Democratic side? Well, no. I mean, I guess there's really not not a whole lot more to say. Not a lot of drama. Um, I mean, not really at this point. Well, you know, and, and Sanders has, <clears throat> in large part, declined to really go after Clinton on the issues that would have mattered. Now. Again, he pushed a little bit on this uh, this transcript stuff, but but as you noted, it's almost more that the media is pushing that than Sanders is. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're looking to interject some drama into this race. When exactly, really, yeah. exactly, because there's nothing to talk about, yeah. and, and what Sanders has sort of decided that he won't raise the credibility issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, that that makes it uh, really a lot less fun for Republicans and a lot less fun for everybody. Yeah, and it's all about just you know fun. Again, so. it's not. Yeah, as I understand, what's the process of choosing the next the leader of the uh, next free, leader of the free world as opposed to just my entertainment? But yeah. you know, right. Right. Okay. Now, before we move on to the Republican presidential race, I wanted to point out that we've hit a we've hit a milestone here at the Politics Guys. It is our one year podcasting anniversary. That's crazy. So happy anniversary to us. And you know, well, thanks. Yeah. You know, and, and during that time, you you recall at the beginning we had a, a small hearty band of loyalists who kind of stuck it out as we figured out how to do this thing. And I like to think we've right. gotten better at it over time. We don't really want to go back and listen to some of those early episodes. Uh, I'm sure painful. But now we have thousands of listeners, which just amazes me, certainly. Um, Again, I'm, I, am, I am truly humbled uh, because uh, this is a project that, uh, you know, Mike and I just sort of decided we'd, almost as a goof, uh, sort of continuation of, of dorm room conversations from 20 years ago. And uh, I didn't expect uh, anyone uh, beyond immediate family and friends to listen. And I figured they'd drop off after yeah, the first uh-huh. couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, it it really is amazing and, and like you said, humbling that so many people feel the podcast is worthwhile. Uh, And I should point out, and I've pointed this out before, of course, we do this not because we plan on becoming rich and famous podcasters. That just sounds ridiculous. Uh, We're not making any money on this. In fact, we're actually losing money due to equipment costs and hosting fees and other things and so forth. And, you know, we'd love to keep the podcast going through the election and well after, because it's pretty clear that there are a lot of you out here who really like what we're doing. But as it's gotten bigger, it's become more and more work, especially we're trying to be responsive to a growing audience. And so what I've done, uh, what we've done is earlier this week, we put up a few donation links on the website, and that's politicsguys.com. You've heard me say that before, one word, politicsguys.com. So I guess what I'm asking is if you'd like to see us continue to do what we're doing and maybe even expand on it, we could do things like enhanced show notes and links. People have asked for reading suggestions, maybe more interviews, uh, improved audio quality or uh, – That's the big one. You know, yes. yeah. And some people suggested for Ask the Politics guys have people have the ability to call in and and record their questions and some, you know, some podcasts do that and we could certainly do that. Uh, you know, but if you'd like to see those things, if you'd just like to see us keep on going, uh, we really could use your help. And so if you think what we're doing is worth, say, even the price of a cup of coffee, not necessarily one of those fancy, large, double caramel macchiato sort of things, but just sort of like a Dunkin' Donuts a, cup, a cup regular of coffee, old cup of coffee. Regular. Yeah. You know, and you can make a one-time contribution to the show. Just go to our website, you know, and politicsguys.com and click on one of the donation links. And if you're interested in just a one-time contribution, we have a PayPal donation link, or you can be an ongoing sponsor uh, through either PayPal or the Patreon link. And both of these things are safe, secure, all major credit cards accepted, all that sort of thing. Uh, and, and we would really appreciate it. In fact, we'd like to thank our very first contributing sponsor, Mark from Frisco, Texas. So thank you, Mark, very much for thank listening. You, Mark. Yeah. And, and Mark's been listening to the podcast from the very beginning. He's, in fact, the host of a podcast himself called The Painted Porch, where he and his co-host talk about the, the philosophy of Stoicism, my personal favorite philosophy. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah, it really is a that's, great that's podcast. Really cool. I, I would encourage people to check it out if you're at all interested in that sort of thing. Again, it's called The Painted Porch. But as a podcast host, uh, you know, Mark knows how much Jay and I put into the show, and we really do appreciate your support, Mark, and, and everyone else who we hope will uh, consider giving us, uh, you know, throwing a buck or two into the tip jar, the kitty, whatever you want to call it. So we would really appreciate your support, right, Jay? 
We sure would. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. Okay. I wish we had some kind of like fancy NPR type We, we do not have offer. tote bags we'll or anything like that. Yeah. But, but anyway, we just wanted to mention that. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. So, so yeah, let's move on to the Republican side of things, Jay. Uh, you know, a lot's going on with the Republicans, obviously. Certainly a lot more to talk about than on the Democratic side, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You know, and, and I think the top thing, right, is Nevada caucus, uh, where uh, Donald Trump won, won. Well, I was going to say big, but I know there's a word that you like. I think the word you're looking for is huge. Yeah, there you go. Donald Trump did did win by that uh, huge margin. You say it so much better than I do. Getting 45.9% of the vote, and that's 22% in front of second place Marco Rubio. And now, this is Trump's third win in a row all by double-digit margins. And uh, he's got a pretty significant delegate lead now, uh, 82 delegates, and that's a big lead over Cruz's 17 and Rubio's 16. But I think, to me, the most significant thing, perhaps, might be the percentage of votes that Donald Trump got there, uh, 45.9. That's considerably higher than the mid-30s he'd been getting in other states. So right. do you think do you think this is a sign of things to come? Has Trump broken that mid-30s barrier, or is Nevada just kind of a unique state in this regard? Well, I, I, I'd answer that by saying uh, yes and yes. Um, and that is, uh, first, Nevada is sort of unique uh, in that the folks who – who live there, there is the, the one sense, I mean, the Vegas being the, the largest population center would seem to be a, a Trump uh, feeding ground. I mean, that would, uh, outside of New York, I can't imagine a, a place where, where Trump would play better than, than Las Vegas. Right. Um, now, the other, the weird thing about Nevada, and not everyone knows this, uh, but they, and Nevada has a, a significant Mormon population. Huh. No kidding. Uh, second only to to Utah. Wow. And um, I would have thought that that population would not have gone for Donald Trump. Now I, I don't know the numbers how that that broke down. You know exactly. Right. Uh, there was some talk that Mitt Romney might come in and endorse Rubio, uh, and and help out with the the Mormon population. Um, he didn't. And some some folks in the Republican. Uh, Party or wondering why or what he was up to or um, if he's going to endorse him, why he didn't didn't do it uh, then. Uh, but so no, I think Nevada is a little bit of its own animal and it's a a pro Trump kind of animal. Uh, that said, um, the predictions that I had been making and you had been making and so many people have been making since the beginning was that there was a, a level that we would call peak Trump. Um, that right. uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't get over. There would be about this this a quarter to a third of Republican voters that he might be able to pull over, um, and he seems to have who, to have done that in um, in Nevada. And more more troubling to me is if you look at South Carolina, uh, a week removed now, and you, you go back and sort of digest some of those numbers. Uh, the fact that he he did well among evangelicals. Uh, which again de- defies common sense. Uh, that is that is uh, troubling to me. I am I am sorely vexed, uh, sorely about, vexed. about how how this is how this is going. Um, the other prediction that that I had made, and I think you concurred with, and again a lot of other smart people, smarter than us, and and uh, professionals in this had said, is look, you know, polls are one thing. Uh, when people actually go to vote, that'll be something else. Um, that's, that, that prediction has been sort of right. Um, we've got, uh, a, a situation where Trump is, is typically over polled, 
meaning he his support looks better than it actually does on election day. Um, but his election day is still significant enough. There's not enough of that drop off between people who say they're going to vote for Trump and actually show up. Uh, there are a number enough of these people who are actually showing up that uh, it's it's no longer just a insignificant. Uh, you know, sort of, oh, it's just people who are getting pulled and not actually uh, likely voters. So that, that is, I got to tell you, I'm, I am troubled because, um, I mean, there's, there's a personal thing that I I would prefer not to have Trump as the nominee. Uh, But but more troubling to me is it it just doesn't make sense to me. So that's. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I said there are a lot of things going on. I think one other Big thing, a second big thing that went on this week is on Thursday night, the five remaining Republican candidates debated, well, debated, um, screamed over each other as the audience in Houston uh, hooted, screamed, clapped, what have you. Um, uh, to me, it was a big, giant mess, though it was a big, giant mess at which uh, Marco Rubio finally sort of took off the gloves and started taking the fight to, uh, to Trump. Uh, not, yeah. not, I don't know how much that matters. You know, this was the 10th Republican debate. Uh, and that, now, maybe that seems like overkill. I, I, if you've been following all these debates, it kind of is. It's not like the candidates are saying anything really new. But then again, people in the states where they're debating tend to make up their minds late, you know, just before the elections. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, but what bothers me is every the media, the big thing this week has been uh, in the media has been, is the Republican Party responsible for Donald Trump? Did they create Donald Trump as this Frankenstein monster, essentially? And this this is in the mainstream, what you'd call the liberal media. And to me, it's not so much the Republican Party, although I understand that argument. To me, it's much more the media that's created him. And if you take a look at the debate format, the debate mm-hmm. format is just is, <clears throat> is disgusting. You know, and, and this idea that the moderators or the debate sponsors can't control this is 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 insane. You know, they want yeah. they want the crosstalk, they want the yelling and screaming in wild audience because it's like a high stakes reality show. You know, substantive debates are boring, and not only that, but debates have been a huge cash cow for the networks. You know, let me give you an example. This latest debate. 14.5 million viewers. CNN had 13.2 and Telemundo 1.3. The only show that was rate, rated higher that night was The Big Bang Theory. I mean, so it's 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 amazing. And, and they charge the ad rates that the networks get to charge for this. CNN back in September was charging something like 40 times its usual ad rate for one of these debates. And so this is a multi-million dollar type of thing for the networks. They're not interested in changing it. But if they want, if we wanted real debates, if we wanted debates where substance would matter and where it wasn't about playing to the sort of things like a reality star like Donald Trump would, you know, would prosper in, it'd be, it wouldn't be that difficult. I've actually come we up with I've come up with a plan, Jay, a three part okay. plan. Number one, moderators control the microphones. You set up the microphone so that only one can be live at any given time. Okay, they could figure out how to do that. That that would be totally simple. So they'd ask a candidate a question, hit that candidate. Someone link. famously tried to do that to Reagan, I think. Yeah, you know exactly. Story. Yeah, yeah, but that would be very. That would end all the crosstalk stuff. Number two, the cameras have to be linked to the microphone, so the camera automatically is on whoever's microphone is live, and they can't go back and forth to reaction shots. And, mm, I don't know if I like that. But well, go ahead. and number three, no live audiences. If you care about substance, if you really care about what the candidates have to say, that would that would 
automatically direct the focus exactly on that. But that would not be that would not be compelling TV. You want to see those reaction shots. You want to hear the audience yelling and screaming. There was one person in the audience for the last debate who seemed to just go completely insane over anything Rubio said, and just it was it was. I mean, yeah, it was funny, but you know, it, you try to you try to pluck any kind of substance out of these debates. It's it's impossible because that's not what they're there for. It totally plays to someone like a Donald Trump. And so the media, before they start talking about how how this sort of thing, how you know, Republican party has created Donald Trump, they should look to themselves because it's the media oh, that's created Donald Trump and they need to cast the blame at themselves first because without this sort of debate format, without this sort of crazy coverage they give him, there's no way Donald Trump would be where he is today. And so if it's their fault, much more so than the Republican parties. Well, I appreciate you letting the Republican party off the hook for Donald Trump. And, well, I, and I would, I would agree. I, I, to my, I guess my view is that the Republican Party didn't do enough uh, to, uh, let's put it this way, they didn't create Donald Trump, um, but they, they maybe could have done more to uh, to prevent uh, Donald Trump. And uh, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of things we can talk about. I mean, some of it is, um, is the primary process itself, uh, is, it, is it workable? And I hate to be, because this is sort of like a, a thing that Democrats tend to do, is whenever things aren't going their way, they sort of claim that the game's fixed and we need to change the rules. Um, but, uh, you know, look, I mean, I, there, there was a day when parties, you know, very much just picked their own nominees and smoke-filled rooms. The good so old forth. days. The good old days. Yeah. And and yes, that's that strikes us as terribly undemocratic. I'm okay these with days. that. Uh, okay, and that, I guess that was my. I was going to throw that out as sort of a thought experiment, uh, sort of um, to our listeners. Is I mean, would would it be better if we were back in that sort of a situation um, where the decision for a party uh, nominee was made by fewer people? Uh, it wasn't all these these uh, primaries. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, to do that takes out a whole lot of the money. Uh, that that needs to be spent, and if you consider, I mean, smoke-filled rooms gave us people like Abraham Lincoln um, and Warren Harding. So you know, and Warren Harding. Uh, but but no, but again, would, wouldn't wouldn't you take a Warren Harding over Donald Trump? Geez, I don't know. That's that's a rough choice. But you know, I wanted to point out that it doesn't have to be all or nothing, one way or the other. For instance, the Democrats right. have a, a a much different system where they have all of these super delegates, which is a the super delegates I think are something like fifteen percent of all of their delegates, and that's why Hillary Clinton has such a big lead because so many of these super delegates came out early for her, and the Republican Party decided not to do something like that. And now I would not be surprised if Trump is the nominee and the and the Republicans go on to lose the election, I would not be surprised if they change their change their delegate process and maybe put in more super delegates. Now that the Republicans have something like that, but it's a far smaller number essentially. Right. So. No, I, I would predict that no matter what happens, there are going to be changes in the Republican primary process. Yeah, I think yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. You know, and, and one last thing that that um, again, speaking of, of Trump and the uh, what some people are now saying the inevitability of Trump, um, which again confuses me and um, uh, troubles me deeply. Uh, you it's know, going to be okay, these, Jay. These other pardon. It's going to be okay, Jay. I still. Well, I, I, I don't 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 worry too much yet. I still. I wanted to tell you I, I, how how convinced I still am. I put my money on. I mentioned I put my money on Clinton. I also put. I not only bought twenty five shares of Hillary Clinton. I bought a hundred and nine shares of Marco Rubio. 
Well, and, and that's good. You know, I, 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 I was able to pick him up at 26 cents a share. Now he is down now to 20 cents a share, but I am, I mean, I've got $28.25 on the line here, Jay. So this is, you know. That's a lot of money. You know, um, I'm not messing around. So, well, and here's what, what troubles me about the Trump phenomenon, and this is something that I've, I've missed, is that in other states, like right now in Ohio, uh, by most polls, Trump is leading Kasich by about 5%. Uh, now, that's, that's sort of, you know, close to margin of error, and I think that's within that, that zone of, of what I call of Trump's over-polling. Uh, I'm confident if Kasich stays in it uh, till Ohio, he will win the state. Uh, well, but well, the idea the idea that Trump would at any uh, situation be ahead of a popular sitting governor of that state uh, just defies all common sense. He's also way ahead of uh, Rubio in Florida. Yeah. Uh, well, now, I think you can make a different argument about Florida. Well, well let me ask um, you that, about Kasich, because, uh, I mean, you have some, you know, you have some insider knowledge to a certain extent, I, I would well, say. Well, a little you know, bit. Yeah. A little bit. But, but when the heck is Kasich still doing in the race? I mean, it's pretty clear he doesn't have a path to the nomination anymore. And so essentially what he's doing, it seems to me, is uh, unless he has some sort of a deal with Donald Trump, which which seems pretty implausible, I mean, wh- what is he What is he doing? Does he want to see Donald Trump as, as, as the nominee? Because it sure seems like his actions are, 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 are pushing things in that direction. Uh, help, me, help me get in, inside John Kasich's head here, Jay. Um, I can tell you a couple things about about Kasich is throughout his history, I mean, going going way back to when he was literally just a kid out of college, um, his life has been this this you know whole series of really improbable successes. Uh, he he wins races that he's not supposed to win, um, you know, particularly early on. He challenged a, a longtime incumbent in a Republican primary, and again, he was. Uh, he was a you know basically a kid, uh, and he ended up winning. Um, same same thing just throughout his his career. He's 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 as Trump would say he's he's a winner. I mean he he does sort of find a way to win, uh, even when it often seems improbable. This is more uh, than so. So there's that there's that going on. Um, the other thing uh, about John Kasich is um, he. There was a really interesting piece in the uh, Washington Post. I, I don't read the New York Times that much, but occasionally I will look at the Washington Post, um, saying that if the the party has any one hope of of stopping Donald Trump, it's that Kasich beats him in Ohio. And they had a, a pretty compelling breakdown of the math on all this, uh, and and indicates that that's you know the these these sixty six delegates in Ohio. Uh, would would make the difference uh, in keeping him from getting to that sort of critical tipping point. Uh, so if Kasich maybe stays in through then, um, he's actually pushing back against Trump. He, it's it's not so much splitting the vote as um, as ensuring that that Trump doesn't get a majority. Now you can make that. I suppose the, the same thing goes. You could make that argument with the other states of well, he ought to drop out. Uh, because the whatever percentage he's pulling away, ten, yeah, exactly. thirteen, whatever yeah. it be, um, is is too much of a problem. Um, so I don't know. Uh, uh, I know Kasich would very much like to stay in throughout Ohio. I also know he's a, a very smart guy. He's surrounded by some pretty smart people. 
uh, and he's he's good at math. But so we should also point out the perverse incentives here is that uh, is that the, the 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 folks that he's surrounded by these these campaign consultants. I mean, they have a vested interest in keeping him in the race because the longer he's in, the more money they they make, and it wouldn't be the first time that uh, that a. Uh, a candidate with a large ego, which you kind of have to be to run for president, I would I would argue, sure. uh, stays in the race at the urging of of candidate of, of sorry of consultants who stand to make an awful lot of money if he does stay in the race. And you know, because like right, I mean, right now, okay, he's he's not he's not hurting he's not hurting uh, Rubio a whole lot in Florida. He's only polling like five percent. On average right. in Florida, and, and and Trump is just like you said, amazingly running away with the state of Florida. Uh, but, I have a theory for that, but go ahead. Oh no, no, off. we can talk about. Well, that I'm just saying. But... I'm just saying that I think that unless Kasich is here, here's my theory to the extent that I have a theory about this is that Kasich maybe is going to stick it, stay in there for a little while longer, and I'm hoping that he gets out before the 15th, before Ohio and Florida and so forth, and endorses Rubio. And maybe, you know, maybe he's looking for a vice presidential nod. I don't know. But I think if Kasich stays in the race past the 15th, I think Donald Trump's the nominee. And, I, and I'm and i going to blame John Kasich for that. But anyway, okay. your theory on Florida. Well, let me ask you, what's, what's your theory on Florida? Again, it would seem on its face uh, to be absurd that uh, uh, Donald Trump would be leading a a sitting senator by double digits uh, I, I, in his in his home state. I, I don't have, um, I don't have a clue because because Trump is up by by more than Rubio and Cruz combined in the latest yeah. polls. So I <laughs> I don't know if you have a theory. I'd love to hear it. No, I, I most of my theory is is Florida is is really a weird animal, and to some extent, uh, Florida is is sort of the southernmost most uh, borough of New York City. Uh, there are a whole lot of transplants. Okay. Uh, okay. From yeah. from the New York East Coast area that moved down to Florida. Uh, you know, significant. Uh, if if you if you think you know places you know Palm Beach or along that that coast, um, and I think Trump plays well to that. Again, yeah, okay. it's, it's a New Yorky sort of thing that that he doesn't you know it doesn't play as well in in say the Midwest. Um, so he picks up those voters, and then you have sort of your native Floridians, your your typical Southerners, who would go uh, apparently as South Carolina did, hmm. and that is that they they like Trump the the uh, uh, Trump the renegade Trump the um, I'd seen one piece uh, that uh, sort of described Trump as as a modern Andrew Jackson that Trump is the Andrew Jackson candidate. Wow. Now again, that's going that's going way a way back, and I don't know that anybody's consciously thinking about that kind of stuff except kind of geeky people like like you and me but uh there's there's that let's let's call it jacksonian uh vibe that plays well in the south um and i'm i mean i I, i'm not gonna (laughs) i mean elaborate more on that than uh but but that's you know he he plays well he even said his his big uh he was he was thrilled with the uh, uneducated voters who were uh, all for him and or something like that. Uh-huh, right. He, yeah, he likes those voters. Of course, he does. They they love him too. So, so I guess. So I think that's when you when you combine that uh, again, the, it's sort of a, a perfect storm of of New York and uh, uh, sort of old South uh, that the Trump again, as, as I was a little surprised, but he seems to be doing well with. Uh, that's that gives him the, the big uh, the big lead in Florida. Uh, and again, him him having any any lead in Ohio still baffles me. 
Yeah. But, so, so, so what do you think, uh, what, what do you see happening on, on Super Tuesday then, Jay? All right. Well, I say Alabama goes to Trump. I say Arkansas goes to Trump. Uh, Colorado, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. My, my sense is uh, they might just kind of dislike the, the Trump style. They, I, I, could, I could see Cruz doing well in Colorado. Uh, Georgia, I think Trump will probably win Georgia. Massachusetts, um, I think Rubio probably does well in Massachusetts. Uh, Minnesota, don't know. Do, 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 do. What else we got? Texas, Cruz wins Texas. Um, and that's one some people were wondering about, that uh, the, the talk was that at least earlier on in the week that, that maybe that maybe Cruz couldn't even hold Texas, but you think... Right, you think right. That and Trump had at one point, I think there were some polls that showed Trump with the lead in Texas, which again is is sort of mind-boggling, uh, but more recent things have shown Cruz to, to be in control there. Um, I'm trying to... What else do we have, have out there? Virginia, I don't think Trump wins Virginia. Um, I expect that goes to Rubio. Um, Wyoming? Wyoming. Who doesn't? Who doesn't wonder? Which about again? Wyoming. I mean, I think what? How many delegates is Wyoming? Is it? Is Wyoming? it literally like two? Maybe. Yeah, there aren't too many Wyoming delegates. I didn't even know Wyoming was. I didn't even know Wyoming was on Super Tuesday. Are they? Right. I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, according to uh, CBS News that they are. Well, they would know. Okay. Uh, Go figure. But uh, that's how and much. Of course, Amer- how- and of course, American Samoa. American Samoa. Um, yeah. Oh, Alaska, Alaska too. Republicans vote in Alaska also. I think, I think overall, but, but let's but let's put it this way: we said we weren't going to get into the individual state margins, but I would say Trump Trump wins significantly throughout the South, uh, with the exception of Texas. So, do you think Trump wins every state but Texas? I mean, every meaningful state but Texas? Um, I don't. I don't think he wins Colorado. Um, but but well, uh, yeah, I mean, well, again, I'm I'm. I think I'm, as, as I'm I perplexed. understand it. I'm, I've lost I've lost confidence in my own abilities here, and I well as I understand I have to sort Colorado, of to our listeners, I I don't get this. Yeah, I, I want to point out Colorado actually. Uh, Colorado's thirty-seven delegates are unpledged, so they don't. There's not actually going to be a, a caucus. There's not actually going to be a actual Republican caucus there, though there are delegates. I'm not exactly sure why that is the case, but so Colorado really doesn't matter. In that sense, yeah. but I mean the states with all the delegates, the big delegates. That's Texas, obviously, which you expect to go to Cruz. Uh, Georgia's way up there with seventy-six delegates, and that's going to be Trump. And that's, you know, that'll be Trump. When you look down the when you look down the calendar, it's hard not to see. I think that Trump is going to take. I, I think Trump's going to take. Uh, uh, not going to win nine of these states easily. I, I agree. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. uh, you know, I, it, it, and then they're going to we're going to see even more of these is Trump inevitable type of things. And we're going to start to see, I think, even if he is or isn't inevitable, we're going to start to see a lot more, a lot more endorsements like the big endorsement this week. Right. Chris Christie endorsed Donald Trump. And a lot of people were stunned by that. But given that just a few weeks before he was talking about how unfit Donald Trump was to be president. But now apparently Donald Trump has become far more fit. Uh, I don't know. Was that was that surprising to you, Jay? It was surprising and, and disappointing. Um, I think less of Chris Christie now. Uh, I, you know, I don't know whether, again, maybe it's just it's a hey, it's in New York, New Jersey sort of. Um, you know, it's almost like the they screw you wing of the Republican Party or something. I, yeah. um, I, I, it didn't. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference 
yeah. in any contest. I, I don't think, again, Chris Christie had a whole lot of uh, the people who were following him and that there's a, there's a you know significant mass of, in any of these states who would now vote for Trump who wouldn't have voted right. for him in the first place. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it um, makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, they're both vindictive, petty bullies, and so they, they have very similar personality traits. I've never thought much of Chris Christie at all. Anyway, and so I think he's just trying to get in while the getting's good, because if you wait until after Super Tuesday or after March 15th to endorse Trump, if he looks like the nominee, well, then what do you get for that? You get nothing from a potential, you know, Donald Trump administration. But if you get in there early, maybe he said, hey, you know, you're a winner just like I am, and maybe right. I'll hook you up in a new administration. So I think Chris Christie is just doing the, 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 the craven, sad thing that Chris Christie has done through his whole career, and Donald Trump can have him, because I think they're both disgusting human beings. <laughs> well, you apparently feel even stronger about it than I do, but all right. <laughs> you know, so I, anyway, I still, I still maintain that Donald Trump will not be the nominee of the of the Republican Party, and like I said, I have twenty eight dollars and twenty five cents on the line that says so. So, okay, we, we will see what happens. But and you you are a professional PhD political scientist guy, and so I, this means know. absolutely nothing when it comes to election um, predictions, of course. But yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you for that. So, you know, there actually has been some non-election related political news. It's hard to believe, but there was one story I wanted to mention before we before we end our show today. Uh, on Tuesday, President Obama sent Congress a plan to close our unethical and immoral detention facility at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And, of course, that was one of the promises President Obama made when he was still running for president back in, you know, 2008. He said he would close Guantanamo. And some, that's something that's proven a lot harder to do than he thought it would. And I would say that's largely due to a very recalcitrant Republican Congress. And so, as you would expect, when President Obama presented this, Republicans immediately rejected it because I, I don't know. why, why are Recalcitrated. Well, well, tell me, Jay, why are Republicans so dead set against this? Because because you need to have a, a place to keep very, very bad people. A torture facility uh, outside of the United States where our laws don't apply and we can do whatever the heck we want. That sounds like a Donald Trumpism. Well, I would I think you're you're mischaracterizing the whole of the ideas of torture facility and so forth. It is Fair enough. it's a place where they're they're it, held. Uh this is not you know, the Abu Ghraib type situation uh of back in the, the Iraq war. Um but it is a place where look, if if they're held here uh, you have a situation where all of our constitutional protections would apply to them. Oh, God, no. Uh, we can't have that. It's no, important that we hold people I indefinitely. Should. I don't think you should. I'm going to come out and say it. I mean, this is this is a situation where we're fighting an enemy that does not uh, uh, abide by any of the typical rules of war. Uh, even Even, you know, if we accept that those rules are often overlooked. Uh, but there's no Geneva Convention. There's no... There's no um, uh, uh, other state to, to send them to. So, uh, and, and when we do send them, they, they likely go back. It's, it's not a typical prisoner of war situation because it's not a typical war. Uh, it's not a state versus another state. Uh, <clears throat> so we're, we have sort of this unfortunate situation. And that's, uh, that's the Bush a word. administration okay. made the, the uh, uh, policy decision that we're not going to treat terrorism uh, as sort of a law enforcement issue. Um, and, and, you know, this is, this is where we are. And I agree. I, I would be better if we didn't have to have Guantanamo. Um, 
but I, I don't see any really great alternatives at this point. And also, I, I dislike the idea of that we're just going to shut it down because, as Obama says, the, uh, he thinks it's, it's fueling terrorism or the, um, you know, making the, the situation worse. Uh, to me, that that's, comes across as kind of laughable. Um, so you don't, you, don't uh, think that, you don't think that holding people indefinitely without any sort of charges just because we think they're bad people and might do bad things, you don't think that that's not uh, breaks, breaks with our, our traditions and the value and dignity of human life and what America stands for? You're, you're, you're saying you're okay with that. It's, uh, in your word, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. what I'm saying. I'm gonna okay. go. I'm gonna go hardcore wow. on this. No, and but I'm I'm taking issue with Obama's uh, claim that uh, by closing Guantanamo, that will <clears throat> somehow uh, alleviate terrorism. Uh, well, no, we would that, just hold uh, them indefinitely. The people, in the the US. people who are, are are cutting the heads off of, of Christians uh, simply because they're Christians and are are blowing up uh, uh, you know Jews simply because they're Jews. Um, and have sworn eternal jihad and, and so forth are going to cut it out because we closed this prison. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, that's, that's ridiculous. I think that's, yeah. I think that's nonsensical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, this is, this is one of these situations where uh, we need to be uh, put on a, a show of strength. Uh, I think closing it would also be viewed as a show of weakness. It would be viewed as a victory. Uh, for Islamic uh, terrorists, um, these folks will get, as some have already gotten, I mean, welcome home parties. There will be parades. There will be, uh, and they'll go back to the battlefront. And and again, it's it's a matter of uh, our credibility uh, to fight terrorism. I think is diminished uh, when when we uh, uh, are, are overly apologetic uh, for having to fight an enemy that that look is is opposed to. Everything we would we would say is part of the civilized world. Well, I, I I am certainly concerned with our credibility and our ability to fight terrorism, but I'm even more concerned with, but with the the reason what what America stands for. And I think you know that if we abandon our fundamental values to do this, well then and to use the the horrible cliche, then the terrorists have one. If they if they cause us to be less than what we are to fight them, well then that that's that's not to me what America's about. And, and frankly, Guantanamo Bay makes me sick, and I will be very happy happy when we stop holding people without any sort of charges, without any sort of respect for them as human beings. And I just, I just think it's a, it's a travesty. So anyway, we clearly have a fundamental disagreement on this one. Yeah. You know, yeah. it happens every once in a while, you know, but, uh, I, I guess I, I will, I will close just by saying, um, Obama apparently didn't find it as disgusting as you did and that he let it go on for eight years. But I, well, I don't know that there's much he could apparently, actually apparently do about saw it. But some need for it. Now, he has cut down on the number of people there. There are a lot fewer people there. I think he's done everything he could do. And now there's some talk about Obama issuing some kind of an executive order or something like that. I don't know if that would actually happen or if it does the constitutionality of that exactly. But but I yeah maybe I'm a little more disturbed than he is by though of course I have the luxury I guess of being more disturbed that I don't have to make these decisions and I don't see the intelligence which is what some Republicans right. would say and that's maybe a fair point you know I should I should I should point that out so anyway uh, 
I think that does it, that about does it for this week. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys podcast, which comes out every Wednesday, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, gmail.com. And our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can comment too, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. Check it out and give us a like if you like it. Uh, and if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And finally, if you like what we're doing on the show and have a few extra bucks burning a hole in your pocket, we hope you'll consider sending them our way so we can keep on going. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.